Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go. 570-9000 is the number at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. We're in their broadcast center. Big Five is on the way tonight. We got the Lakers and the Warriors playing extravaganza. Last night was kind of a dud. Kind of a dud. You know, Celtics were threatened for a little bit, but they got the job done. But this is a chance to freaking stop messing around, get the seven seed, get in the playoffs. Or it could be a trip for the Lakers to another game that they have to win or they don't make it with uh, all these high expectations. So the gang is back together. They better get the job done. And, of course, uh, Dr. Dre is on the other side to lead Draymond Green, to lead the Warriors. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. Good, you can answer. I mean, he's he's a leader. I know you don't love him, but he he is a leader. He's he's got experience. He knows what he's doing. Uh, number five. Let's get to it. Uh, baseball. I like good social media from teams. Did you see the Red Sox trying to shoot their shot for J Lo? Oh boy. Yeah, this one's. Uh, I don't know. It's creative. It's creative. So Red Sox shoot their shot with uh, Jennifer Lopez. If Affleck can get her back to Fenway, because they did attend a game years ago at Fenway. Actually, they weren't together. Uh, she took in a game in 2019. So now the, the logic is she hates the Mets. You know, she's New York. Jenny from the sure. Bronx. She hates the Mets because they rejected her offer. Um and A-Rod, former Yankee, so she's out on the Yankees, so they may be able to steal this free agent, although technically I guess she's not a free agent, as I do the air quotes. Can we talk about the most distressing story in weeks that we never hit on? What is Affleck doing? Going why back? Is this, why is this happening again? Well, he's, I mean, I, I think when you reach a certain age, as you know, Steve, as an old man, you start thinking about your past. And like the... The, the the good times that you've had and you've really missed out and I think he's just trying to revisit how he felt when he was younger not necessarily who he was with when he was younger like he's chasing the glory days nightmare number four Red Sox nothing worse in baseball right now than Bobby Manfred I was trying to think well tell La Russa, Tony LaRusso we're gonna get to LaRusso <laughs> but Manfred his Grubby little, I don't know if he has little hands. Uh, his fingerprints are all over baseball right now, and it's it's a mess. We should be coming in going, yay, Detroit Tigers. No hitter. Spencer Turnbull, what a story. 3-17 two years ago. Throws a gem, but the problem is it's part of now five no-hitters before June. The record for a season is seven. That was accomplished in, what, 90, 91, and 2012. What are we going to have this year, 15? And how many other guys who, you know, have – ERA is north of five, and Turnbull is actually having a pretty good year. Are going to throw no hitter? This is like you said as a kind of a Tigers fan. You're like, eh. I mean, no hitters, one hitters, two hitters, three hitters are like commonplace now because no one can hit because they've made the freaking ball into like a baby baseball. Remember those giant bats? You have a, like you know, you give a toddler and he's like, yeah, here's a soft baseball. It, it that's not that bad, but it's it, the exit velocity is harder than ever. Nothing's happening to the ball. It's not going anywhere. So should we use those big fat red bats? I don't know. Is that those? Because those will hit no matter what ball you're using. Something. Those things crush. There's no offense anymore. Stinks. I mean, May May 19th, a team is hitting 199. 
The Mariners are hitting 199. That is hilarious, by the way. Yeah. It's it's funny that a team was hitting below 200 as a team and that they just got no hit to fall below 200 as a team. Um, I Can I bet under six and a half no hitters for the year? There's one more, and that's it. No, I'm like setting the number. That'd be an insane number. What would you put? Nine? Yeah, I'll go nine and a half. I think it'll double from here. I'll bet the under. What do you think? The hot weather? Everything changes? Or does Manfred actually call up whoever's making the baseballs and like, okay, make them the old way because this sucks. The fans hate it. Well, I think it's also a little bit of a fluke. I mean, I think, I think definitely now. offensive numbers are down for sure. Um, pitchers are as good as they've ever been. Um, Adam, it was two years ago that the homers were at a crazy rate. And then they've been depressed over the last two years. So people were hitting a couple of years ago. We're talking about there's fewer overall hits per game. This is all off the top of my head. Uh, fewer overall hits per game since uh, 1908. I mean, this is historic stuff. What are you doing, Manfred? <laughs> Maybe Manfred was watching games from back then. On like ESPN class. Fewer doubles <laughs> per game. The, the most recent low was 1989. Balls put in, uh, it, what is it? Batting average of balls put in play. BABIP? Yes, BABIP. It's the lowest it's been in 29 years. I mean, clearly, they overdid it with the baseball. It's not a fluke. It's not a trend. It's not the weather. It's not early season jitters. There's There's one main theme here. I'd like to think that, that it's just a resurgence of pitchers. Wow. I like to think the pitchers are great. Well, you know, they're actually – I forgot what I was reading the piece. Um, oh, someone over at Fangrass was talking about fastballs, like how pitchers are now pounding fastballs more and more and more. Why? Because they're like, they're not going to go anywhere. Yeah. So now fastball – now people throw more fastballs. They throw harder than ever. You see so many converted starters then gain like three miles an hour in the bullpen, throwing one inning at a time. And now they're like, yeah, I'm going to throw, throw it around the plate. I don't have to be all pinpoint. This isn't freaking home run era. Rob Manfred wants to put out the mushy ball. So, yeah, fastball. Bang, 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 bang. Just all fastballs. It's not going to go anywhere. Well, I think I think there's a combination of that. There's a lot of things that there's a combination. The guys are swinging for home runs a lot more. Um, and it's, it's the hit or miss. Uh, I think also you've got umpires expanding zones a little bit because, because of the graphic now. That's up on on the screen, and I think that they're they're worried about like looking silly if they call uh, a pitch oh, ball that's that. in there, um, and and it, it's only making them worse because now they're expanding the strike zone outside and uh, they're off the plate a little bit more instead of just north and south, which is where they really had to adjust the strike zone. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that are working in pitchers' advantage, which is completely opposite from every other league that's always looking to increase offense. Uh, crazy that in baseball, which does need to embrace a younger demographic, they've kind of gone in the other direction. Like, let's see what we can do to stop offenses from happening. Uh, they'll adjust back, though. I think uh, I do think the ball is a big one, uh, and I'm, I'm sure that they will fix a little bit of what they did with the ball. Uh, but there, there's there's other things at play here for sure, and I think baseball will try to figure out a way to go in the other direction because offenses are what sells. I think offenses is what is going to get you more tied with the younger folks and stop with the nonsense too of you know of all the uh, silly rules that people don't know about or care about that aren't even real rules all that stuff has to has to come into play but uh, I do think they'll figure out a way to adjust back to offense 
number three. Yeah, that was a terrible lead into Manfred and the anger around Manfred. You know, is there anyone more disliked in baseball? Bigger dork in baseball? Bigger problem in baseball than Rob Manfred? Uh, the last couple of days, it's it's the old school guys like Tony La Russa. By the way, I kept referencing earlier, it's not, not old doesn't mean that you're, you know, by your age, right? By the number. La Russa's 76. The other guy in this mix who's, you know, trying to be tough guy about the rules, the unwritten rules, is 39-year-old Rocco Baldelli. Which is insane. Right? And... I keep mentioning Chris Woodward. He was the guy in Texas last year who flipped out and then got Jace Tingler to flip out on Fernando Tatis for simply having fun, right? Tingler, I'm sure, got a talking to from the organization. Like, don't do that ever again. Jace Tingler's like 25. That's our guy. Uh, But Chris Woodward just – I just saw a note. Chris Woodward's like, eh, I've kind of changed my mind on the underwritten rules. You know know how minds change? Well, first of all, you have to be malleable and flexible, right? Being shamed. But also being destroyed by everyone. (laughs) But it's it's – it's not even that. It's just listening to the average baseball fan. Media people are like, what are you guys talking about? We don't care. Stop worrying about stuff like this. So, yeah, Chris Woodward, who's 44, is like, okay, maybe I was wrong on this. Let's lighten up a little bit. Tony Larusa, Oh, he's digging in. Oh, he's digging in. Uh, he just said yesterday, again, this all goes back to your mean Mercedes. One of their big power hitters is up at the end of the game. It's a blowout. Whatever it was, 15-4. Uh, Astadio's throwing just nothing for the Twins. He lobs in a 3-0 pitch, and the guy blasts it out of the park. And then you can see the Twins dugouts getting all pissed, and then Larusa comes out afterwards, says his player's clueless. He ignored the sign. You know, that's not going to happen again. I'll have a talk with him. Twins come out the next day. They still throw at him. Like, n- none of that did anything to quell their immaturity and anger and stupidity over these unwritten rules of baseball. So then Larusa comes out and goes, I'd be willing to bet there isn't anybody in my clubhouse that's upset that I mentioned that's not the way we compete. I walked around the clubhouse last night and nobody was giving me the Heisman. Well, I don't know how we would judge this, but you're going to lose that bet. First of all, there are people in your clubhouse who are like, this is nonsense. You don't have our back. And and there's some real subtle tweets that I don't really understand that are going on right now that I think maybe are applied to that uh, and that players are not happy with La Russa. Uh, first of all, is... Is give give me the Heisman? Is that a new reference or an old reference? Pretty old. I mean, I, I feel like it's an old one. Like I've heard people use it that are younger, but I think that's an old man reference. Uh, with you know, giving the old stiff arm and keeping you away from them. Uh, but also, but like, it's pretty hip for him, actually. You're also you also are their boss. Yeah. Like you get to decide if they play or not. Like they don't really have that much freedom to just go it. after you. Have at it. Yeah, he and. Uh... He and Lance Lynn were kind of going at it indirectly, and I assume they've talked face-to-face. I'd love to see that talk face-to-face, because if you ever seen Lance Lynn, he's about 6'5", 270. So, good old tone, trying to go nose-to-nose with Lance Lynn, who's, uh, you know, 40 years younger. But, yeah, Lance Lynn, Lance Lynn came out and, and was like, eh, said there are no rules. When a position player is pitching, uh, he said, the, the more I play this game, the more those unwritten rules have gone away. LaRusso responded by saying, Lance has a locker, I have an office, I don't agree. <laughs> All right, brother. Yeah, he's more. Yeah, he's more important. He's a locker. He's more important. You are not. Players are important. You aren't. And you're an old man who shouldn't even be in this job. Yeah. You're not I, mean, I, I don't. I don't want to keep calling old man old man. It's, it's it's an old attitude, and he's an egomaniac. And for him, sometimes it's about the player. A lot of times, it's for him. You know, there are times when bosses just have to step in and go. You know what? We tried. You know, we tried with the opposition. or We tried with this person who was complaining to us, right? So the twins are complaining. Okay. Sorry, 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 sorry. And at some point you're like, all right, <laughs> enough. 
Now it's getting insulting. And I'll tell you, we had we had a great story uh, around the building. One of our FM DJs uh, got in a little hot water because he lost his cool at a local restaurant, right? So the bosses at Lotus, like, they, they tried to make good on it. Like, uh, you know, you got to apologize. Uh, you know, then they had a meeting down there. And then it got to a point where they were like, uh, yeah, we don't like his social media. Like, it was unrelated stuff to their restaurant. Yeah, he needs to kind of scrub that and clean that up. Doesn't really look like he's sorry. He's not really changing his ways. They had a follow-up meeting. And it got so ridiculous that finally our big boss was like, that's enough. That's enough, okay? He said he's sorry. He did something wrong. We've tried. We're done. And they both left. <laughs> right. And that's that's what you do if you back your people. You don't just keep going on and on and on and calling your employee clueless and then actually putting them in harm's way. You almost gave the twins permission. You know what? Just go throw at them. Because right. I got your back. And then the, Thanks, I, boss. And they did throw at him. And he's like, yeah, I don't blame him. That's the, probably the right move. Like, he, it's insane. But but to to your point... Like I did see, I did see some of the pushback of, hey, the problem isn't that he swung or they swung it against a position player or that it was a blowout. The problem is he was given a take sign and he ignored it. He chose not to follow the coach's instruction. Okay, fine. You want to make that argument? That is fine. And I would completely accept Tony Larusa going to him in the, in the locker room and saying, hey, nice swing. Don't ever ignore a take sign again. And then going out to the press conference and saying, hey, that's my guy. It took him 10 years to get to the major leagues. He's going to he's gonna take advantage of every single opportunity he has. He's going to go hard every single at-bat. And if you don't like it, then come to me and, and talk to me about it because like, I'm going to defend him to the end because this is a guy who worked his butt off to get to this level. And even if you're mad about it, you tell him you're mad about it. You explain why you're mad about it, and you, you teach him, and then go publicly defend him. That is your job as a boss. That's what you're supposed to do. If you have a problem with somebody, you tell them, and publicly, you support them. Number two. Oh, boy. Think uh, the NHL is happy to get away from NBC? Is NBC a, a dying medium? The ratings are in for the regular season. Lowest in 10 years? Or lowest mm. in the entirety of the 10-year deal? What the hell's going on? Well, did their switch to Peacock hurt things? It could have. I think also maybe you know the lack of fans in, in the NHL really does kind of change the viewing experience a little bit. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't look as good without full houses. Kind of. You know, I hadn't thought of it. I thought you and I both agreed. Like, the, the, do you care? Most sports, no. But I think yeah. hockey is a little bit different. God, I love that. I thought the hockey playoffs last year were really cool. I like them too. They, they, all the tarps and everything, and they had lots of colors and stuff. Because I'm, you know, I'm shallow that way. So I was like, yeah, that's cool. When did they? It sounds loud. When did they run these numbers? So I would like to know what the you know what the last three days of the regular season did. Okay. <laughs> in terms of ratings, like you know some of these regular season games after the season was over, oh, among, stop, among non-playoff games. God, you and the, you and the, the Canadian team still playing regular season <laughs> games up until the uh, afternoon. I am obsessed with it. Yeah. I will never I will never drop this. But I feel like if they would have had a lot more regular season games after the playoffs started, it would have worked out well for them. Number one. Marc-Andre Fleury last night was very good. Very good. I know you got on him a little bit somehow after losing one nothing. Uh, you didn't no, saying, no, hey, I didn't. You, well, I, cause, well, because I think you were getting annoyed because people were like, you can't play better than Fleury did in game one. And you're like, Talbot did. <laughs> right. That, that, that was the issue. It wasn't. Yeah. Marc-Andre Fleury played unbelievable but in I the like, first game. I like that you get all mad. You understand what's happening. We are over the top in love with Marc-Andre Fleury. So and that's when he, fine. And, and, and want to defend him. That's the way a lot of Vegas Golden Knights fans are. I'm a Flurry guy. I whatever. Um, 
what he did last night was amazing, especially in the yeah. first period because he wasn't he was not getting a lot of help and the high danger chances early. It was it was ridiculous. It was a freaking onslaught. It was it was crazy, but he was he was tremendous yesterday. He's been great all season. It's been a an inexplicably good season. Probably his best season yet. Which is incredible. Insane. And, and maybe a lot of it's because of this setup. Yeah. Maybe the fire was lit underneath him like, hey, you know, there there was talk of getting rid of you. The owner stepped in and said, don't get rid of him. And you got max motivation. We saw you got max motivation. We saw in football. Was there anyone more pissed off and driven than Aaron Rodgers? Hey, your replacement's here. No, he's not. Oh, you think so, huh? Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and I think, you know, you also have to take into consideration that while Leonard was hurt for a long time and, and Flurry had to play a lot of games, the second half of the season when, you know, the last couple of years Flurry has worn down and been tired, he was able to get into a rotation and play only half the games. And I think that very much helped him stay fresh and also stay uh, at a very, very high level and not go through some of those lulls that he's gone through in the past. So I think Leonard's presence not only inspired him to play better, uh, but also, you know, functionally made him better because he was fresher and not having to be worn out all the time. So I think those things work together. But yeah, he's been very good. And there's not much argument or debate that he was fantastic yesterday. He was great. And he's the guy in game three. I Ooh. think so. All right, let's I address so. that on the way back. Is he not the guy in game three? Interesting. Mark andre Fleury and Robin Leonard were still making decisions. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, I was a bit perplexed before we went to break. Marc-Andre Fleury, starting game three, 100%. I think 80%. Really? Wow, okay. Where are you getting this from? I mean, I'm just setting a number. I, I would I would be willing to bet that he's starting. But you do have two goaltenders. You've insisted that you don't have a starter. I think it'd be tough to take him out at this point. You started him two games in a row. Um. But you also, you don't want to get to a point, like what you really, really don't want to do is have Flurry lose and maybe give up three or four. And then you take him out and you're like, all right, now we go to Leonard. We're down a game. We go to Leonard. And he hasn't played in 10 days. So now what? Like You don't want to be in that position. If you do have two goaltenders, which you do. I mean, you've insisted over and over again that you do. Robin Leonard was also, I mean, borderline, but... If Mark andre Fleur was like third or fourth best goalie in the league, Leonard was like ninth or tenth. Right. So, you know, they're not that much different. They weren't that much different in the regular season. And you you could get yourself into a position where, you know, Fleury does not play the, as, way, as well as he's played these first two games and most of the season. And then you don't really have an option to switch because you have a goaltender that hasn't played in two weeks. Now, you guys at the paper have a bunch of people covering this series. You're on the wild, so you're actually covering the wild. So you were on the wild call this morning. I don't know if this was said after the game last night or today. Uh, they're confident, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, big time. Didn't uh, Doomba say, like, kind of borderline cocky about it? It was – I mean, I was taken aback. Really? After the okay. Game. I was like, whoa. What he so what did he say? He, he said, uh, you know – 
we we are one one right now. You know, we got through these two games. We got to we got to split, and now we're going to home, and you're going to see a completely different team. And uh, well, the question actually that set that up was, hey, are you are you satisfied? Like you know, going on the road that's that's always the talk, right? You go on the road. Hey, you want to win one of those first two? You want to split the first two? You take home ice or home court if it's basketball, whatever. But you take home ice by winning one of the first two. You split on the road, and then you go home and win both games. But the question was, hey, you came to Vegas, you got to split. That's what you want. That's what you're going after. And he he just said, listen, you guys are the ones that called us underdogs. We don't think we're underdogs. We think we're a better team. And now we're going home where we are a better team and we're a different team. I think his quote was, we're beasts. Ooh, okay. So, you know, he, he was just making the point of, hey, we weren't satisfied to come here and be one and one, but that's where we are. And now we do have home ice advantage. And now we're going to go home and be in a much better position these next couple of games. But, yeah, he was he was definitely not backing down from, hey, we have home ice now. We're, we should be the favorite in the series. Coming back, we're going to talk to uh, Willie Ramirez, who was also inside the building last night for the AP, and he'll tell us what – it was like early in the game and as he watched the uh, massive comeback. And we'll also, you know, we're going to get into a little WNBA as well because he's all over the Aces beat. Visit LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. Play ball! Staring down the throat of Bryson Stato, swings and belts it high and deep to right field. And the Aces going back. To the track, to the wall, and it is gone. On to the berm. Bryson Stat building his fourth Blue Claws home run. Hanging at the Battle Born Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. On the way back, you hear one of the hometown heroes, Bryson Stott in the minor leagues, former UNLV player with another home run at A-ball for the Jersey Shore team, affiliate of the Phillies. Let's stick with the local angle. One of our great local guys from the AP is Willie Ramirez. Hi, Willie. Tell us what the atmosphere was like last night. Great win for the Golden Knights. They even the series, and that place looked like even half full, that it was crazy. I've been there for every single home game since the inaugural season, and um, I'm sure that the uh, uh, the decibels would be higher on, on some some sort of uh, radar or some, some, some volume scale, but you can't really tell with the enthusiasm of, of this crowd. Um, once they pushed it to the official 50% capacity, they, uh, you know, they approved it a few weeks ago, but because of spacing issues, they did not have an actual 50% in the building until the first two games of this series. And it's been loud. It's been enthusiastic. Even the, the wild commented after game one, that they were feeding off the energy in the building. <laughs> All right. Uh, I thought, or I saw your comment about, uh, the DJ having a good night. Was he, uh, How'd you put it? What was he doing? I forget how you put it. You said, uh, oh, the, uh, on the wheels. Did he play a little George Benson? A little old school for us? He did. He had uh, Give Me the Night playing. And uh, Joe Green does a great job. You know, he's a younger guy, but he has a really good take on on some of the old school music, um, the old school vibes. He, he knows how to mix things in. I'll joke with him before, before he goes live or I'll DM him. And, um, Man, he's throwing some old stuff on. He's throwing some Eddie Kendricks. Keep on trucking is is one of the popular ones. Um, Double Dutch bus. Just you know, he'll, he'll, <laughs> yeah. he, he can he can he can groove with the old school funk, and then he mixes it in nice, and he keeps the young crowd going and the rock and roll crowd going. So I dig it. But yeah, last night when I heard George Benson for a little uh, 
pregame activity, I was like, wow, okay, I can groove with this. What was your heyday of DJing, and, and where, where did you work? Uh, my very first ever DJ gig was at a place called State Street, Gianni Russo State Street. Gianni Russo was the actor from The Godfather, and he owned a restaurant off East Sahara. I was valeting cars for him. I had turned 18, and as a, a family friend, family favor, he, uh, he, put, he told the valet booth, he said, give this kid a, a job. So I was valeting cars, and I met the DJ at a restaurant on one side, but a nightclub on the other. And uh, I met the DJ, and I said, hey, man, I've always wanted to DJ. I've always been interested in music, dancing, so on and so forth. Back then, the teen nightclub was Tramps, uh, or excuse me, was That's Entertainment, and then the nightclub up the street was Tramps, and uh, I had never DJed. And he said, well, come on in after valet's done. So I got done valeting around 11 o'clock once the kitchen closed, went into the nightclub and just started learning. And he had a mobile company. And from there, he transitioned me into teaching me how to do uh, mobile gigs. And I was a wedding DJ for the longest time. Nice. And I was so I was so into hip hop, right? So into hip hop and RB. And that was before gangster rap. So a lot of the hip hop, it was still fun. You know, it was, you know, DMC, Houdini. Uh, Big Daddy Kane, EPMD, the, the, the uh, Dougie Fresh, the you know the old school stuff um, with the breakdancing music, and so I was all into it. And so he would specifically give me wedding music that wanted big band, Sinatra, country, rock and roll because it diversified my library and it allowed me to learn how to play for different crowds. And by the time I turned twenty one, I got my own club, which was on Industrial, and uh, DJed at Fuddy Duddies. Which nice. the building is still there. <laughs> it's now called Sunny Saloon, yeah. a, a caddy corner from the fashion show. Sure. Sunny Saloon used to be where the parking garage is at fashion show, and that used to and Sunny Saloon where it is now used to be Fuddy Duddy. So that was uh, my heyday ranged from like eighteen to twenty two in this town, and then I kept mobile DJing because it was easy money right. to go do a wedding and be the MC. So yeah. Got to liven it up. Got to liven it up. Willie Ramirez is with us. He was at the hockey game last night, Golden Knights, with a gigantic victory, uh, evening the series against the Wild at, at 1-1. Um, boy, the crowd needed some livening up, didn't it, after the uh, Matt Dumba goal? I mean, how that was crazy, and just how quiet was it there, because uh, Marceau comes right back. I mean, that that's one of the goals of the year. Yeah, it, it, it really was, and it, it may have saved the entire season because – I had spoken with Danny Webster from NHL.com, um, local guy, correspondent for, for NHL.com here in town. And we were saying that if the Golden Knights lose last night, it's over. Because, you know, even, even, even if they steal one in Minnesota, you know, you still have to be able to steal two in St. Paul, where since they came in the league, Minnesota 6-0-2 against that team. The Golden Knights have never won in regulation in Minnesota. So, they needed that, and they needed it that quick to sort of just – it wasn't necessarily stealing the momentum. It was just more or less keeping it, keeping it at even keel and, and letting them know, hey, you're, you're, you haven't done anything yet. And, you know, I think one of the keys was uh, coming over from game one when he start, when DeBoer started Thomas Nosek with, with the top line of Stone and Patch Reddy. He said, well, I you know, just want to – you know, get him in there, see, see, try to, you know, shake things up or see, or maybe he thought that leaving Tuck lower in, in the in the third line was was going to help and boost that. But the bottom line is he answered the own question as to why to do that in the postgame press conference after game one and saying, you know, well, to hit, to Nosek's defense, he did just come off an injury. Well, then in that case, I, in my opinion, I'm not a hockey coach, but, hey, it doesn't make sense that you put him with 
uh, Stone and Ch- Stevenson, I, I think I said Pacioretty before, but Stone and Stevenson, Pacioretty, of course, missed his eighth straight game last night. Um, so starting Tuck last night really, I think, was a big deal. Starting Tuck with Stone and Stevenson on that line was a very big deal. The Misfits line, which has been intact since year one, uh, Carlson, Marchesaw, and Smith, they skated well. Um you know, a lot of people questioning why Ryan Reeves is 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 playing, and I get it, the offensive production, but I think he brings a presence. And I think Mark Stone said the best while Reeves was out was like, you know, there's going to be a lot less chirping once Reeves comes back. So just his mere presence on the ice, if that helps boost their confidence that they're not going to be chirped to in the ear, and no, it doesn't sound good because it makes it sound like they're allowing people to get in their head. But DeBoer said, Hey, I guess there are teams that can get in the head, and he admitted that during the you know late yeah. in the regular season after a loss to the Wild. So, all in all, um, I think there were a lot of good tweaks and moves, and and just that goal alone, it really sparked it, got things going. And um, Ryan Wallace, who does the the Golden Knights, the Insider Show uh, uh, at Lotus, uh, you know, we were talking before Game One that he does the night to shine, and he said, I know I always do it spur of the moment, right before the game starts. He said, what do you think? And I picked Alex Tuck in game one, and he didn't score a thing. So he, uh, he came through and, and popped two in there um, in, uh, in last night. And, you know, it really, like I said, it, it, Marchessault's goal saved it. But let's not, let's not escape the fact that the, the main factor and the reason why the Golden Knights are where they are and they're, and they're going to Minnesota with a lot of confidence is because probably the greatest goaltender on the planet right now. I mean, Vasilevsky's good. And he's probably the leading front runner numbers wise for the, the Vesna. But Marc Andre Fleury, if you ask the entire league who they want going into a postseason at any given time, given the big picture, I would have to say that 85% of them are going to say Marc Andre Fleury. And the first period last night was ridiculous. I mean, it was so one sided and he stood on his head. I mean, that easily could have been three or four goals in the first period. Uh, you know, not only were the Wild getting shots on goal, but they were like really good opportunities. Yes, the high danger chances were seven to three, Minnesota in the first period, and it was a complete opposite because the Golden Knights did that in the first game, right? They dominated the first period, second period. They were, they had the high danger chances. They outshot not just shots on goal, but outshot the Wild shots attempt uh, that missed the missed the entire target shots that were blocked. You name it. So the opposite, Wild came out and played the Golden Knights game. The Golden Knights had to come out and sort of do what the Wild did, and and then you had Flurry stand on his head the same way that Cam Talbot did in game one. So it's really been and, – and both goaltenders have been fantastic. I mean, Talbot led in three goals last night, but let's not, let's not be mistaken here. They, I mean, they both have put on a clinic in these first two games, um, and, 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 and uh, Matt Dumba was fantastic at both ends. I think, that the gold, I think that the Wild had six block shots in the first period, and he had four of them, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so he, he might have been Minnesota's best skater on the ice. I mean, they're going to be a handful in St. Paul, but the way that the Golden Knights answered, the resiliency we saw and the confidence that Fleury is playing with, the sharpness, the crispness, um, it's, it's, it's beneficial, and, and game three is going to be critical. I've always said this in a best of seven in any particular sport. Game three is the most pivotal game of any best of seven, in my opinion. And, you know, you look at you look at you look at this series. The Golden Knights don't want to be down two one going into game four in St. Paul. Uh, Minnesota 
can respond in game four. So it's more important for Vegas to win this game. That road team going into game three has got to score this victory. And uh, I think, I, you know, if, if they were going to split in Vegas, I think you couldn't ask for a better situation in that Vegas took game two. Willie, sit tight. On the way back, we're going to get into more of the local scene. We'll talk about the good bounce back yesterday, a dominant victory by the Aces over the storm. The show never ends. Watch the Cofield and Company late night pod tonight at 9 o'clock on YouTube or at Steve Cofield on Twitter. Ten-point Aces lead. Blum, the step back. Oh, how about that move? Hanging at the Battle Born Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Rolling towards the Laker game. We got it right here on ESPN Las Vegas starting at 7 o'clock. Playing time, L.A. against Golden State. Let's stick with the basketball theme you hear on the way back. Kelsey Plum with the step-back jumper, and that was a big one. That was a big one for the Aces last night. They strike back against the Storm after losing the opening game. They crushed the Storm last night. Willie Ramirez is here with us. He works for the AP. He covers everything in town, including women's basketball. All right, Willie, last night, that was big. Yeah, I you know, I watched the first game and, and uh, saw the, the guard play struggle terribly, and I was trying to keep up with the box score, and it was hilarious because the post-game press conference – for, the, for last night's game came on between the second and third periods. So here I am up in the press box, and usually everybody on the Aces uh, Zoom has their video live. So everybody was in their own environments, and here I am on press row, but at a <laughs> hockey game, tuning in, listening to Lambeer and, and, and uh, Chelsea Gray and, and, and the ladies come on and talk about it. But what you saw was, I think, just a little more, as Bill Lambeer said, they're just trying to find themselves and get to know one another. And I think... He, he even has to get to know them. It's not a matter of them learning his system and them learning one another because it really is a, a different team. It's a different makeup of a different team compared to the one that went to the WNBA Finals. Yes, you have Asia Wilson. Yes, you have De'Erica Hamby. And yes, you have Jackie Young. But, you know, De'Erica Hamby missed the playoffs last season. Uh, Kelsey Plum missed the season. Liz Cambage was in Australia. Chelsea Gray wasn't on the team. You know, you have a different complexion, a different makeup, which which brings a complete different rhythm and a different system and different schematics. I mean, the the, the system itself that Lambeer likes to play may be the same, but you now you have two bigs in there that you can you know that you can turn to. So um, it just took a game, and and the guard play was uh, that was the first thing I looked at because it was a, it was the one thing I paid attention to in game one was how terrible even Kelsey Plum coming off the bench. Um, with, you know, followed it or pop it in for Raquana Williams, got Chelsea Gray shooting from the outside. Uh, they were, they shot horribly from the, from, uh, from the floor in game one. Last night, the production was there, the fluidity was there, and they really came together. And it was that first half that sort of helped them because Seattle made a push in the third quarter, but uh, the Aces, they, 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 they held strong. They got the W, the reigning WNBA MVP and, now they're gonna. It'll be interesting because they lose Plum for about six to eight games because she's going to the Olympic three by three trial to be on the Olympic three on three team. So they're gonna try to, um, you know, qualify, um, which is which is a fun event to cover. It just sucks that it happens to be right. during the WNBA season. Yeah, big games coming up. Uh, Aces hosting uh, LA, and then the Sun are in town. Yep. Willie Ramirez is with us from the AP. Let, let's close on. You know, we're talking about all these professional teams in town. We got major league squads. Uh, like the Golden Knights and the Raiders. Could we have a third 
major league squad, whether it's NBA or MLB. Right now, MLB is the hot talk because the uh, A's brass is going to be here in town before they head to Charlotte and Nashville, I think it is. We had a good conversation on Friday night on the DC and the Sunshine Man podcast that we do each Friday night at 1030, and Willie's a regular on that. Both you and Koken were very bullish on Major League Baseball actually working in Las Vegas. A lot of other people say, hey, won't work here. You know, it's not going to work. The support's not here. Why do you guys think it's going to work? Why do you think it's going to work? If there was ever, if you go, if you take us back, let's let's just go back to, to my my days, right? We talked about my heyday. Let's talk about growing up here and watching the Rudder Rebels. If anybody was going to come here, if, if there was going to be a league that was going to come here, then the one person that I've always credited for pro sports coming to Las Vegas, initiating the conversation and really spearheading it is Oscar Goodman. When he took over a mayor, he swore that pro sports was coming, and he made a big push, and he bought the NBA All-Star game here. You know, we already had Don Logan, who is a fixture in this town, uh, as a president of the Stars, 51s, Aviators. Um, so, so that was proven as far as, you know, the longevity of minor league baseball. But we'd always think that it was going to be the NBA first. And the fact of the matter is, we never thought the NFL was going to come here, especially from a, with, with sports betting. But – Lo and behold, the sport that just ignites this town is the NHL in the desert where everybody said it wasn't going to work, right? Uh, NHL in this desert. What are you, crazy? Well, granted, there was a horrible, horrific shooting uh, October 1. It, it sort of triggered and played into the whole Vegas stra- strong mantra. The Golden Knights rallied behind it. They start off that season incredibly. They make a run to the Stanley Cup, and this town is in love with hockey. You got the WNBA here, which is fun to attend during the summer. You got the NBA Summer League, and then all of a sudden the NFL's here. So the the the, the order in which we're seeing pro sports arrive and and the the manner in which this town has just erupted for professional sports, it it reeks of of two more, the, the last two to the puzzle. And that is Major League Baseball and the NBA. We heard this week that the NBA is looking to recoup lost funds from the pandemic by expanding, and Seattle and Vegas is atop the list. It's a given. I would imagine that, that an NBA owner would want to build his own arena or her own arena or the group's own arena at some point, but T Mobile is easily NBA ready. Um, and for baseball, yes, if the A's come to town, whether they're using Vegas as leverage or not, the fact of the matter is if Oakland builds a stadium and says, okay, 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 we see you're serious, it's still the point that Vegas is being used as leverage. It's a town that is now viable and formidable as a town that Major League Baseball um, could come to. And I think that, yes, this town would rally around it. The, the thing that we brought up on Friday – it's going to take some time to build a stadium. And, you know, by the time that that comes around, we could be nearing 3 million people. So if you build a stadium and you're looking at 60, 70,000 people, that's a small percentage out of 3 million people. There are baseball fans. It's going to be retractable. We're not going to be sitting in 120 degree heat, right? There'll be the retractable roof. And I think there are enough baseball fans. We had this conversation the last time I was on uh, the show, the afternoon show, uh, about my uh, baseball project, which I actually delayed because COVID hit UNLV, by the way, and Bryson Stott hadn't made it to um, his team. So I, I'm still coming with that because Bryson's compiling his stats and doing great. Point is, there are tons of baseball fans. There's a rich history oh, yeah. of baseball here. So 
I 100% the baseball. I 100% think that at this point, you bring a pro team here, it's going to work. You bring Major League Soccer here, it's going to work because this town is now on fire. God love the UNLV running Rebels and 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 the football and the diehard boosters and the old school guys that have been here and that love will be here and 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 you know as as a long as someone who's been here since 1972, I'd love to see that program flourish once again and see the football team thrive. But guess what? Las Vegas is now a pro sports town, and every sport that comes, it will work. There is a fan base. This town is definitely strong and rich with sports. Where would you want the stadium? Where do you think Major League Baseball would want the stadium? We're talking about sites uh, on the south side of town in Henderson, out near the Raiders facility and the M, uh, plots south of the South Point. There's plots near Warm Springs and LV Boulevard. Then you could go over to uh, Wild Wild West. You could go to the Rio. You could go to Wet and Wild. You could go up north to Cashman. I mean, there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of competition. I think, uh, depending on who's officially involved to get the team. But where would you want a stadium? Where do you think Major League Baseball would want to be? I don't know how much. I mean, gosh, you see how these stadiums drop. I literally say the word drop because when you look at municipalities around the country, they just literally drop them in the middle of downtowns all over the country. It amazes me how they're able to build and just sort of fit things into parcels. And if they're not worried about parking, like at Allegiant, and you're just sort of fitting things in and here's here's how you're going to have to make your way to it, I could see them finding – a parcel downtown, uh, maybe over Cashman. The one area I never hear being brought up, although out there by Henderson and by the Raiders facility and by the M makes sense driving toward Cali. The one area, and I don't know if it's if it's completely owned by BLM or how that would work the transition, but is out where I'm at near Aliante, but further down toward the 15 and 215. You got the speedway out there, um, you know, and you're building up along the 215 on the south side of it the north side i want to say is blm land but there's a lot of property and a lot of land out here and it's near two major freeways i mean the 215 maybe not major right now but this area is built i mean there's really nowhere else to build um you know this area has a lot more room to grow with houses and developments and and plazas and and whatever it may be. I mean, they're they're continuing. There's a lot of construction going on out here, so there is a lot of land, and you already have the the motor speedway out here, and people come out here for that. So it wouldn't shock me to see some development out this way, also. Um, you know, and and it's just a matter of who sells the biggest package. You know, as far as you know, Henderson's really making a big push to be such a big part of of, of pro sports in this town. So I mean. There's a lot of land for me personally. I wouldn't mind seeing the uh, the extreme north or or northwest being developed, or I should say just north, not northwest. Because, uh, like I said, because I I don't necessarily consider northwest out by two fifteen in Losi area, um, but a lot of open land out here. A lot of open land. Willie, good spot. Hope to talk to you on uh, Friday on the the podcast for a little bit, and we appreciate it. Thank you. All right, see. Thanks, Willie Ramirez. There he is. Throwing a wild card into the mix. You noticed I went through all the different possibilities, and there's more than even I mentioned for Major League Baseball Stadium here in the Las Vegas area. Uh, no idea where the money's coming from. Uh, I've already seen the A's are looking for something similar to what the Raiders got, a private-public partnership. So there are rumors they've already been talking about. Certain parcels of land, there's also... Mayor Goodman, who said, oh, we've been talking to them for a while. So I'm not sure what that means, but uh, 
Ari, do you ever get up north where Willie was talking about? Uh, not too often. Okay. It's cool out there, though. It is, and it's still very much developing. And the thought of a stadium being out of the speedway, I guess, in terms of room, yeah, that's a positive. I still believe that after the you know after seeing what the Raiders have built across from Mandalay and you know right across from the Strip at the end of the Strip, and seeing what the Knights have nestled in the Strip, I, I think it's going to be really tough. And maybe the A's are open to it. I think it's going to be really tough for Major League Baseball to land in Vegas and not want to be on the Strip. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's an interesting thing though to pull people away. Because I know everyone wants to be on the Strip. We had a guest on the other day that was talking about that, too. Like, where else would they be? But uh, it is interesting because it is really – it is thriving out there. It's growing and stuff. And now if you had some kind of a main attraction, I mean, what what else brings people out that way or out anywhere? Everybody wants to be in the Strip and downtown. So, I don't know. It might might work. might not work. It also depends on who you're trying to appeal to. Uh, is it locals? Is it locals and tourists? Is it more tourists? If it's locals, then yeah, a, a location like that might work. But I, I have a feeling, again, they, they're going to want to replicate what the Knights have and what the Raiders have. And so um, more so the Raiders, the Raiders crowds. I think initially are going to be a lot of Raiders fans and there'll be a mix of out-of-town fans, California fans. So there's going to be a mix of locals and tourists. So uh, Willie mentioned Aliante, a cool deal going on tomorrow at Aliante, uh, game three. VGK viewing deal with Ryan, the hockey guy. He'll be doing the uh, the pre-show and the intermission and post-game show at Aliante at Salted Lime. So at Aliante, part of the uh, Boyd family, uh, Boyd Gaming is the official home for Lotus Broadcasting Sports Stations, all the LV Sports Network sports stations. Boyd Gaming is the official home for Vegas Golden Knights hockey. So game three at Aliante, Ryan will be on the scene. Fox Sports Las Vegas will be on the scene. They've got happy hour going down from four to six. You got two bucks on soul bottles, a loaded soul for three. House wine is four bucks. 16 ounce draft is four bucks. Margaritas all day long, four bucks. And a Mexican mule is five. And I'm sure they've got unbelievable food there. So we'll try to make our way up there. But Ryan, the hockey guy, we know Ryan Wallace will be on the scene at the Salted Lime. So on the north side of town, Aliante is the spot. Uh, for this go-around with Vegas Golden Knights Hockey. And then we're going to be bouncing around like next week, Monday, Cofield and Company. Now that we know there's a game five, we'll be live at Bailiwick inside the Orleans. Into the bag. We got grab bag going. Stick your hand in there, Dave. So weird deal here. You know, I was about to mention the story early in the show, but it was so sketch on the web. I mentioned Adam Hill. There's a supposedly a 40-yard dash challenge between Justin Jefferson, Devin White, Henry Ruggs, here we go, Raiders, and McCall Hardman from the Chiefs. It's got a sponsor. It says it's going down on Bleacher Report. It says race day is May 20th. I don't know exactly where they're racing, but if it's real, that's kind of a cool view. A lot of reps on the line. You got, you know, a a giant receiver in Jefferson, a giant defensive player in Devin White, and then Henry Ruggs, Ruggs. who many people think is the fastest player in the NFL. And then Mecole Hardman was talking a little bit of trash, saying he could run like a 4-2-3. So two of the speedsters from the AFC West will be in the race. So we'll keep an eye on the uh, the time of that one. But it says it's going down on May 20th. Thanks to the folks here at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Give them a call if you need legal advice. You got real legal issues. 570-9000 is the number.